What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. Thanks as always for tuning in to Bullpen Chatter. This is episode five. I'm got a big show coming your way today. If you're a player or a coach, you've probably come to know this guy pretty familiar on Twitter. He's the national supervisor for Perfect Game with an emphasis on the draft and Juco baseball. Please welcome today's call to the bullpen, Brian Sikowski. Thanks for coming on the show today, Brian. Appreciate you having me, man. Looking forward to it. No problem. So what's it, kind of, what's it been like being a scout going through all this COVID-19 stuff? <laughs> uh well you know it's not like i've been going to games um yeah. it's it's the the first like handful of weeks of it were fine um we had a lot of stuff to do we did a lot of draft stuff for a couple weeks um stayed busy updating boards and writing reports and, and doing all that kind of stuff and and uh but once that kind of ran out man it was like a let's see if we can imagine stuff to do you know and, and like, that's fine. Like we all have brains that work and we're all pretty good writers and, and we were able to, to put some stuff together, but you're sitting here now and it's like, you know, kind of staring at the wall. How many <laughs> walks can I go on? How many Netflix shows can I binge? Like it, it's everything, man. Baseball just shut down. It's, I mean, for me as a player, it's, I mean, it, dri- it drives you crazy because especially you got all your teammates are home where like the different places they live and then. I go back home and I'm the only athlete left in my class. So trying to find somebody to throw is pretty difficult there. Right. Right. So it's been so, I don't know about St. Louis, but it's been so damn perfect out like in Michigan and, and Ohio and stuff that like, I, you know, it's perfect fucking spring baseball weather, which we never have and we can't play. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw a picture the other day. It was, it was on some softball page and it was like the, like every year it's raining during this time. And then the one year we can't play, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, no kidding. This time of year, it's usually 25 and sleeting. <laughs> yeah. So let's kind of let's kind of talk about kind of like a, with you. How did you get involved with Perfect Game? Oh, man. Long time ago, I was still in college. Um, I had been interested in, in scouting as a career. I had been um, interested in coaching in college as a career. Those sort of things. I, I'd been like writing a blog that nobody read about Detroit Tigers prospects. And like where I went to college at, at Central Michigan, there's like three or four minor league ballparks within 45 minutes or so. So it was easy for me to to get done with class and go, you know, the word is scout, but I surely was not scouting. I didn't have any right. idea what I was doing. So just go watch players, write stuff down, put it on the website, blah, 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 blah. So I saw a... Um, like a job posting on Twitter from perfect game. And it was like, Hey, we're looking for scouts, like summer scouts, blah, 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 blah. So I applied and, and got that. And that's the whole, like, you know, the guy with the iPad who sits at the field and, and keeps the velos and keeps track of the game and all that. Like, that's what I did for a couple summers. Okay. Uh, graduated from college. Perfect game was, uh, I was fortunate enough to get hired full time. And then now five, six years later, here we are. <laughs> So what were kind of the, the steps from moving up from, like you said, that guy sitting there at Lake Point charting velos to being the scouting director? Um, I mean, it was it was honestly, man, like it's going to sound cliche, but it was honestly just like working harder than everybody else. It, it was okay. um, making sure that I took as many notes as humanly possible on any kid I saw 
or any kid that did anything um, throughout the course of a summer's worth of games, you know, and then uh, PG kind of saw that and started taking me to showcases, uh, which are obviously different than tournaments mm-hmm. and letting me scout showcases and, and seeing the, the notes I took and the, the quality and the quantity of them, more quantity than quality in those days. Um, and then it just kind of, there was a job opening and then I had kind of proven myself to them as far as like somebody who uh, was willing to work hard and could do the job. And, you know, I mean, that's really all it is, man. It's nothing sexy or romantic or whatever. It's just like, I made it a point to work harder than everybody else. And so here we are. <laughs> so kind of at what point did you kind of realize that once you, you kind of, I'm starting to get pretty good at this when you're going through this whole process. Um, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if I still consider myself any good at it. You know, like it's a, I'm definitely better than I used to be. I'm, I'm definitely a better evaluator. I'm a better writer. I'm a better, um, Twitter persona. I don't know what that would be called, <laughs> but ju- you know, just, it, it's a, it's a, um, a constant, I guess the, the thing I pride myself on most before, other than my work ethic is not like my evaluative skills. It's my, um, relationship building and networking. Uh, obviously doing the JUCO stuff, which, which you're familiar with, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it if hundreds of coaches throughout the country wouldn't pick up the phone when I call. Mm-hmm. So it's building a relationship like that with tons and tons and tons of guys, college coaches, JUCO coaches, high school and travel ball players sometimes and agents and scouts for teams and so on and so forth. Like it, it's a, it's a big networking thing. And, um, it's being able to, w- once I knew that I, to answer your question without being so long winded, I knew that I was going to be pretty good at my job. Once I realized that I could probably get any information I wanted whenever I wanted it, mm-hmm. as far as like that network base and saying like, Hey, I need to find this out. Who can I call? And once I realized that I probably have a person for any piece of information I want, then it was like, okay, I can probably do this pretty well. And here we are <laughs> still building contacts, still building relationships, still getting better at scouting. You learn something new every day you go to the ballpark and, uh, yeah, no, I'm having a good time, man, for sure. So like whenever you were just first starting out trying to build up those contacts, was it, was it kind of difficult kind of not being per se a name yet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in baseball, the vast majority of people on like the scouting side of the coaching side are, are like genuinely good human beings. So, um, I don't want to say I ever ran into any like, like negativity. I mean, there's mm-hmm. negativity everywhere and like, right. but you know, a lot of the guys that you talk to, as long as you're not a dick, they won't be a dick. And then pretty soon it's, it's just, you know, you're, you're talking at the ballpark when you see them and you're on the road all the damn time with this job. So you see these guys at the ballpark and, um, throughout that, it's like, I don't even look at it as like building a contact base. I look at it as like building friendships, building right. relationships. A lot of these guys that I get a ton of info from, I would call friends before I would call like sources or anything stupid like that. Um, <laughs> and I, and I think that's what, that's what the separator is, man. You know, there's a lot of people out there who have just as many contacts as I do or more and have higher level contacts than I do, but like they aren't friends with these dudes. You know, so I think the friendship part is, is what's uh, and it's not just me. It's the other guys at PG who do it that way, too. It's it's Jeremy Brown. It's Vinny Servino. It's Greg Gerard and Nate Schwears and, and all our scouts that are that do it the same way I do, that the friendships and the trust and the the relationships are more important than um, the end game, I guess. Right. So, 
build a friendship with these people and they know that you're not going, you're just, you're not using them or, or you're not going to, to like hurt them in any way by giving away their name or something like that. Then it becomes way easier. Then it's right. just shoot a text, you know, shoot a text, shoot a call, you get whatever you want. So but yeah, man, it, it takes a while. It takes years to do that, obviously, but uh, it can be done. There's no question. For sure. And I can kind of read that a little bit. Cause I mean, I just started this podcast last week and then, now I'm just, I mean, I've just been shooting DMs and kind of yeah, like trying to get, kind of, kind of like I got you, like shot you a DM to see if you'd be interested. And then I got other people, like I put out a list of the, the last week on Twitter of the couple guys that I was going to get on and then like seeing some of those names on there for other guys that kind of opened up and like piques their interest to want to be able to get on. So it's sure. definitely being able to build those relationships is huge. And you kind of touched on it a little bit in your answer and you talked about being on the road. How much, how much time do you spend on the road being a scout like you are? Um, I mean, it, it kind of varies year to year, but my average is like 160, 170 hotel nights or something like that. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, not quite half the year, but we're getting close to that. Um, and it's it varies by season, obviously. Like in the spring, it's, it's two or three or four day trips. You know, it's seeing mm-hmm. college ball. It's going down to Mount Carmel. Illinois to watch you guys at Wabash play it's stuff like that you know and then in the summer and fall it's like hey I got a 36 day road trip coming up and like you know <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> but yeah it's it's on the road a lot but most of the time I'm I'm with people that I like and and even though it's long days and hard work and, and all that it's uh it's easier being at the ballpark than it is being in a cubicle for and sure it's easier being it's easier being at the ballpark with your friends than it is alone, too. So, <laughs> yeah, I would much rather be on a baseball field than sitting in an office and at a desk. Hey, no question, man. No question. So, kind of being like, so being the national scouting supervisor, what takes up most of your time? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I would say it depends on the time of the year. No question. Okay. This time of year, for example, if we wanted to say like. It's a normal year. Like, we want to pretend it's a normal year. Um, <laughs> right now, it would be, like, all draft. Okay. Um, a lot, of, a fair bit of JUCO still. Like, I'd still be doing the weekly stuff and, and seeing JUCO when I can. And I'd still be going to college series and, and checking out some high school guys for the draft in the general area. Um, and there's we'd have some showcases going on right now, too, obviously. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it'd be mostly focused on the draft. Um, Vinny Servino and I building the list which ends up being 610 and writing reports on all those kids. And then, you know, it changes in, in June and June and July and August and September and October. It's, it's at perfect game events. It's at tournaments. It's at showcases. It's uh, trying to figure out a way to write the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of showcase reports you have while you're at another showcase currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's trying to balance that. It's, it's, going to a tournament right after a showcase and trying to figure out a way to get those reports done while you're still watching baseball until midnight and then have to write that up too. You know, <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of, it's balancing act and it's um, minimal sleep, but you know, man, like what, what else would I rather be doing? <laughs> right. So kind of like, is it about after the, about after the draft, is, do you feel like a weight's lifted off your shoulders from having a little, having that stuff done or does it just keep going on to the next? Uh, it's, uh, it's a good question. A weight is definitely lifted off my shoulders. Um, 
probably about a week before the draft because that's yeah. when we have everything done. You know, everything's just done. The draft is going to happen how it happens. But, um, and then once the draft happens, obviously, like, I love that. Those three days of the draft, man, that's where, and Vinny feels the same way, but that's, I love that. I love being the guy who knows every damn pick, you know, being right. the guy who has information on the, the 27th rounder that the Cardinals took or whatever it is. Like, I love that. And then the draft's over with, and sometimes it's as soon as the next day that PG National starts and we start the mm-hmm. whole cycle over again. So there's not like a, a break per se. It's not like, okay, draft is over. I have two weeks to relax. It's okay, draft is over. Let's start building the 2021 list. And let's mm-hmm. go to PG National and find out who the best high school kids in the, in the country are. And um, let's pick all Americans. And then let's do the whole damn summer circuit again, man. PG National and then East, the East Cobb stuff that we do, the 17U WBA is obviously a super high-end scouting thing. Now PDP yeah. and East Coast Pro and the All-American game and so on and so forth. and Area codes and the whole thing. And then it ends, up, ends in Jupiter every year, um, which is, you know, Jupiter is... Hard to even describe. But, it's a fun, it's a fun atmosphere. Yeah. So like, I, again, I'm getting long winded, and I apologize, but it's oh, it's uh, no problem at all. There's really not a break after the draft is over with, but there is a, a relief in that. Okay, now I have another year to see if I to try and be as right as possible about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can, I can definitely imagine that. So, what are kind of your thoughts on this year's draft and how it's going to play out? Man, I. I'd love to like provide you with some sort of like impactful insight or something, but I just don't have, I don't think they know. Right. Um, it's going, it's, I don't think it's going to be more than 10 rounds. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a pretty fair chance it's going to be five. I think that, I think it'll probably move back. I don't know how far, but I think it'll probably end up being in July or maybe early August. Um, mm-hmm. And after that, dude, I don't know, man. Like I, there's really not a big change for college seniors with this 20 K stuff after the, the draft is done. Like most college seniors weren't going to get more than that anyway. Right. Uh, but it does screw. I mean, it screws a lot of high school kids and it screws a lot of Juco kids. Um, and you, your teammates with a couple of them that it might, you know, mess up. Uh, I can, uh, I can imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see man. <laughs> college, college baseball from JUCO to NAIA to D1 to anything is going to look a lot different next year, just in terms of who's where. And I think that JUCO especially is going to get a lot of, a lot more kids like, and I'll use Ryan Ritter as an example, a lot of those kids who blew up their spring of their senior year of high school had a chance to get drafted, said no, and decided to go JUCO. And now they're, you know, higher end dudes. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of those kids who would have signed for three or four hundred k this year, but now won't. And instead of going to their four year, they're going to go JUCO. I think we'll see that quite a bit more. Who are some of your top JUCO guys that you could see getting taken in this draft? Uh, I think number one is Connor Phillips uh, from McLennan. We've had him number one on our JUCO board since we started it for this year. Um, Luke Little is the famous name. Uh, the right. San Jack lefty, everybody knows who Luke Little is, and they should. He's 6'10 and throws 100. Yeah, uh, Which is good. Which is good. Last I checked, anyways. Yeah. Um, but after that, man, it gets interesting. Like, you know, Beck Way at Northwest Florida State's up there. Jake mm-hmm. Smith at State College of Florida is up there. Ryan Ritter is a guy, um, obviously, that you're familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, it, it's 
it's going to depend so much, man. If the draft is 10 rounds, I think you might see a good handful of guys taken. If the draft is five rounds, it might be one or two. Um, so we'll see. Just kind of overall looking at your guys, the perfect game top 10, were there any guys that on that top 10 list that kind of snuck up there late, late at the end? On the JUCO list? No, on just the draft board. Oh, the draft board. Let me, let me pull it up here. I think we got um, uh, Austin Martin see. at one, Torkelson at two. Yeah. Uh, let's. I'm looking at it right now. As far as late sneak-ups, I mean, these guys were all like on the board heading into the season. These guys were all in the first round on the board heading into the season. Right. Um, but Lacey's a guy who moved up from like eight to three, which okay. moving up from eight to three is roughly equivalent to moving up from 400 to 150. You know what I mean? If you look at mm-hmm. it in terms of um, impact. But And Cade Cavalli is another guy who moved up. I think we had him in the 20s or 30s to come in, and he moved up quite a bit. But And Zach Veen is another one that, probably moved 10 spots from where we had him to start the year. And, and, but yeah, those, those 10 names that you see at the top, there are names that were, were definitely well known and well thought of, but there is some definite proof there. I know, I know one of my favorite guys on that list is Emerson Hancock at number four. I could watch that kid pitch all day. Pretty smooth, that ch- huh? That changeup <laughs> blows my That mid eighties changeup blows my mind. I wish I could throw a mid-80s fastball. Oh, I hope I stay there for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, done, I'm done getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, tell so, Banfield and McKinney to take care of you next year. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to Banfield yesterday about this podcast. <laughs> he, and I, he and I go way, way back. Oh, really? Um, I, I used to umpire his travel team's games like 10 years really? ago. Uh, he huh. was. I mean, I'll, I'll tell. I'll say it right on the air. He was an asshole. I didn't like him. <laughs> I remember a game I was umping uh, of his team. He's up like eight to one in the fifth inning, and he's yelling at me about the strike zone. <laughs> I was like, Jordan, shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I'm gonna text him right after the show. <laughs> yeah, you tell him. Tell him I said that. He'll tell you too. He'll laugh. <laughs> <laughs> was this in? Was this in Arizona? Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. He's from. Okay. He's a Michigan guy, like I am. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, we're from the same general area of the state, like uh, southeast Michigan type. Okay. I know. Going back on this, on the draft here, I know one thing. Uh, one guy I was kind of surprised, which just me personally, it's where do you where do you got Reed Detmers going? He's. We have him at number eleven right now, so I don't know okay. if you can see that on the top ten, but he's right there. Um. I mean, you know, just follow Pitching Ninja to see what Reed, Dittmer, Reed Detmers is about, you know. Yeah. It's a it's an unbelievable curveball, and he pitches his balls off, and it's all strikes. And um, the reason he's not a little bit higher is that, in reality, his average fastball is 90 miles an hour, like 90, 91. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, we can talk about how how good the curveball is and, and how much the fastball velocity is diminished by the command and the quality of it and the breaking ball and the changeup and all the above. But at the same time, there's not many major league starting lefties who throw 88, 92, you know. So that's – and that's why he's not number four. Or what. We still have him in the top fucking 11 picks, man. You know? Right. And you kind of touched up on another question I had written down here is that big debate between Velo – like big Velo guys now versus maybe guys – maybe – 
10 years ago not looking for those big velo guys. So I kind of like what Detmer's – is there a big difference between, like, having those big velo guys versus those guys that have high pitch ability that could eventually be up to the big leagues too? Well, in an ideal world, you'd like the guy that has both. Uh, right. Those guys get paid a lot of money. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's – velocity for me is not a – um, it's kind of what gets you in the door, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is the, the best way I can put it. It gives you more and more and more and more margin for error the harder you throw, and that's just uh-huh. reality. But yeah. there's, a ton, there's a ton of dudes in AAA who throw 98 with breaking balls who don't pitch in the major leagues mm-hmm. because they don't throw enough strikes or the strikes that they do throw are right down the middle or this, that, the other thing. So velocity certainly is not everything, nor is it, would I even argue, the majority of it. Um, but what it does do is it's all of a sudden, if you leave a fastball over the heart of the plate, you're more likely to get away with it at 97 than you are at 89. And that's just reality. So that's what velocity is for me. It's that, it's kind of that separator. It's kind of that margin for error separation. Um, but Detmer's man, like he don't leave fastballs over the plate. (laughs) So I don't know if it matters. He's a guy that he's a guy that's got five pitches that he can throw for strikes and then he's got that absolute banger of a curveball <laughs> and he's a guy i think will he's i don't think he's going to be throwing 89 in the major leagues like i don't think he's going to be a plus fastball guy but if, if he's 90 94 like sure man no problem yeah um and, and i don't think that's far-fetched to project either and be him throwing that that hard eventually yeah he's i mean he's definitely got a projectable body yep so moving on from that how, do, how have you seen scouting change, say, in the last five, six years since you've been involved? Um, the – and it's – the advent is the wrong word, but, like, the uh, continued emphasis and proliferation of the metrics has played a big role. Um, mm-hmm. So now it's like – and I'll give you a good example. Now it's like, okay, this guy throws 94-96. We have that. We all saw that on our radar guns. We all wrote it down. Everybody's got that. Cool. What are the metrics of that fastball? What's the spin rate? What's the spin efficiency? You know, what is the induced vertical movement and horizontal movement, like, et cetera, et cetera. That right. stuff now becomes even more. Now, now that stuff is you don't even talk to a scout who doesn't bring that up for the most part because that's that's a, just as important as the raw velocity, if not more that's so. what I like to hear right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like now it's you get on a call with a scout, and, and five, six years ago you get on a call with a scout, and it was like, hey, man, this kid threw last night, heard it was pretty good, what you got? And he'd say, well, it's 93, 96 with an average slider, and, and I think we're going to put him in the third round. Cool. Now you get on the phone with a scout, or, or even we see the, guy or, see the guy ourselves, and it's, hey, this kid was 93, 96, but – it's very average fastball spin. Uh, it's seen early. The quality is not great of, of the pitch. Uh, he doesn't miss bats with the fastball. There's really not a lot of rise. There's really not much sink, et cetera, et cetera, down the board. You know what I mean? Like the, the fastball traits are not matched up with the velocity, so that guy's got to move down. So are you and guys then looking, the, go ahead, go ahead. So are you guys looking for like – you guys more high spin? You want high spin guys, low spin? What – What's kind of, what are you kind of looking for there? Well, it's both. I mean, mm-hmm. both. You just don't want it in the middle. Right. Um, again, there's more to it that I don't even feel like I would be uh, capable of explaining. Um, <laughs> just so I don't sound like an asshole, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but 
it's uh, a guy with a super high spin fastball is generally speaking the guy that can miss bats at the top of the zone at lower velocity mm-hmm. because of that that induced rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and a guy with a super low spin fastball has got that heavy ball. You know, not necessarily a sinker, but it's that heavy ball that you really mm-hmm. just struggle to lift. Um, so either side of the coin there is fine as far as w- what you're looking for, something that stands out, an outlier. But when it's right in the middle and your eyes tell you that even though the guy throws 95, hitters get a real good look at it, you know, that, that's that's something there too, obviously. That's something you want to stay away from. There's, like I said earlier about the AAA reference, there's a lot of dudes who throw 98 with nothing to it, and that gets hammered in pro Right. So, it's kind of like, it's kind of like hearing hitters say, like, oh, that's, that's, I mean, it's a slow 95 or it's easy to see right. coming out of their hand. Right. And then in the, in the same token, like, I'm sure that, you know, You've, you've seen your hitters come back to the bench and the kid's throwing 88 and they're going, I didn't see the damn thing, you know? And like right. that happens too. That, that's that, that's that spin. You, you see those guys chasing pitches at their letters and they're 80, it's 87 and they're slamming their bats going, what the hell did I swing at? Like there's a pretty decent chance that that's got those traits that we're talking about. I know for us at John A, when this, this fall we played university of Indiana and the first first few guys we faced, they were low 90s and had a couple guys get 94, 95. And we were tattooing those guys. And then yeah. later innings, they're bringing in these guys that are 88, 91. And they're just sh- blowing our doors off. And we're like, what is going on? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. There's so much more to – and this has been known probably forever that there's more to pitching than velocity, right? Obviously. Mm. But now we're, we're starting to understand and have the access to the data that explains to us why that's the case. Like, why is this 96 different than that 96? And now we know, or we're getting a better idea anyway. Mm-hmm. So with, with all the tech that's out there right now, what are some of the tools that you use to help you grade the players? Uh, I mean, the, the diamond kinetic data that we connect or that we collect at showcases is um, when we first started it, we, we knew that we needed to like, before we used it evaluatively, we needed to collect enough data to kind of show us some trends to kind of give us an idea of, okay, well, this is spitting out this. We don't know what it means yet. And then fast forward several years and you get enough data and you can look and go, Oh, well, this kid had this. And then he's turned into this. And it's kind of like, okay, well, is this an indicator of a guy who's going to have super, super good power? Like, is this an indicator of a guy who can really hit? Um, so that stuff is all important. Obviously, the the spin rate data on the fastballs and TrackMan data when we when we have access to it, and, and um, RepSotos both for pitching and hitting. We use that right. at the high school I coach at, uh, for example. And I know you guys are familiar with it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, man, it's kind of all the above. Um, but at the same time, like when you're talking about a high school kid in a showcase, for example, like a 16 year old kid comes to one of our showcases. I mean, what, what can you do? You know, what can you do? Are you a good defender? Show me. Do you have arm strength? Show me. Can you hit the ball far? Yes. Great. I saw that. That's still <laughs> what, it, what it boils down to, you know, like mm-hmm. what does the swing look like? What, you know, what, how far did you hit that home run? <laughs> Stuff like that. What does your batting practice look like that? You can't scout off a of batting practice, but you can get an idea. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can definitely get an idea of a guy. And it's the same thing for pitchers, man. I know you're a pitcher and a kid comes to a showcase and he's got two innings. All right, man, let's see it. How hard do you throw? What are your pitches? What do you feel comfortable throwing? What do you, what, show me your pitchability. Can you throw four straight changeups in a row? Like, I know you can. I don't know if any other kid can. So I want to see mm-hmm. 
Right. Can you miss? Can you miss bats with your fastball? That's a big one for me. That me personally, and that's just every scout as he goes along develops, you know, certain little uh, kinks. I don't know if that's the right word, but for me, it's like if you can't miss bats with your fastball, I'm probably gonna, I'm probably not gonna be real excited about you. Uh-huh. And that's wrong. I've been missed on that before. I can give you examples, but I won't of guys that I missed for that reason. But still, man, it's like. You see a guy out there throwing out there throwing ninety five. If he can't get the fastball by barrels, then I'm going to be hesitant to think that he's good. Right. Um, but at the same time, man, you know, I've seen guys not be able to miss bats with their fastball, but with a plus slider or a plus changeup, you don't need it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So like, I know like there's a lot of stuff going on on social media about scouting and how it, a lot of people think it's getting taken over by computers and. But kind of like what you're talking about there is there's still that eye test that's got to get past with us, the scouts and the guys that are out there and the cross checkers that everybody's seeing. Yeah. But it's not all just computer based. It's not. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, some, some of this stuff, like, I don't know if I feel qualified enough to speak on, but like, I think on the pro side, once you start talking about guys in double A, you know, like the metrics can tell you what that guy is because mm-hmm. everybody's seen him for however many years. But when it comes to the amateur side, you know, the, the high school kids and the Juco kids and the, and the college kids, it's, I still think you have to see the guy. You have to have a scout you trust, go watch that guy play, tell you mm-hmm. what he's about, and then, you know, take his report and blend it with what the analytics say and what player development says. And then, then you have the true picture of what a player is. And that's how you build a draft. I know there's there's one question I had on here that I wanted to ask you. And then, so like, with you being a scout and going through everything that you do, if there was one thing that you could change in today's game, what would it be? Uh, pitchers aren't allowed to hit ever. <laughs> but <laughs> no offense. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> no i just i and that's not it's different on the amateur side man because a lot of times the pitcher can hit you know right a lot of times a lot of times the pitcher can swing the bat i was more talking about like watching major league games like no i don't want to see right. justin for lander bat in his hand get out of here yeah uh, those guys those guys come up through the minor leagues and maybe get two at bats in their whole minor league career right. and they get right. in the big leagues and expected to hit <laughs> right yeah but i mean I don't know, man. It's tough to say. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the first one that comes to mind for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that's a big thing across a lot of people's minds trying to get it to the big league level is get that universal DH. Right. Which I think right. I think is eventually going to happen. Yeah, I think so too. So who are – coming back to this college side, who are some of the big names that are entered in the transfer portal? <sighs> <laughs> I mean, it depends on your definition of big, you know, like um, there's some interesting grad transfers that, you know, given what's going on now that won't have a choice but to transfer. I'm sure they probably mm-hmm. would have preferred to stay at their places, but now they can leave. Who are some of the, who would you say the biggest returning COVID-19 seniors, I like to call them, are that are coming back to their respective schools? Well, we got, I mean, we got to wait and see for draft first. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, like, I, I don't necessarily, if the draft is five rounds, I think there'll be one senior taken within five rounds. Right. And that's Landon Mack at East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. 
But after that, man, it's going to depend. There's a lot of really talented seniors that I don't know if they're going to go back or not. Like, we don't know yet, really. Mm -hmm. But you start to look at guys like John McMillan at Texas Tech, um, a guy who's pitched really important innings there for a lot of years. He's a priority senior, but if he decides that, or if Texas Tech says, hey, man, we'd love to have you back, and he goes back and, and says, I don't care about 20 grand, I want to pitch another season in Lubbock, that'd be a huge one. You know, right. Um, I don't think I think Knack will probably go because he's going to get drafted highly. But, you know, just there's there's a lot of seniors that we just have to wait and see on. We got to wait and see because it's a lot of them. It's going to come down to if the school wants them back, they're going to be making a choice between, hey, do I go back for another year or do I just take seventeen thousand dollars and go play? And I'm sure a lot of guys are just going to say, give me the money. I'm, I want to go play. I'm sick of college, but I'm sure. Mm -hmm. In the same no, go ahead. So, do you see a lot of the same thing? Do you see a lot of JUCO guys coming back to to JUCO instead of going on to that next level? That I think is more interesting than the seniors. Even mm -hmm. um, is hey, like, and it's there's a lot of them who've announced already that said, hey, I'm coming back to going back to Sanjay or I'm going back to Wabash or wherever. Um, going back to Logan, you know, for example, mm -hmm. but. That's going to be interesting as far as like, um, I man, it, it, there's such a log jam. There's going to be such a log jam with with this COVID stuff. But mm -hmm. it, it's it's going to make JUCO better in reality. But at the same time, you know, like there's freshmen who are going to need spots, and uh, that's up to the individual coaches of each program in JUCO. But man, JUCO is going to be fun next year. Like from my perspective, you know. I agree. And I think a lot of people, including myself, have realized that this game can get taken away from you at any point. And I know for me personally and a lot of my teammates and a lot of my friends across the country that have started to put in more work than, say, they ever have before, just just realizing that we can't play this game forever and it could be gone at any moment. Right. Right. Yeah. you got to make the best opportunity or best of the opportunities that you're given, no question. And that boils down to each individual player where that is. Is that another year at St. Petersburg College, or is it going mm -hmm. to Nebraska, or is it trying to get trying to sign for seventeen thousand dollars in the draft? Like that's obviously up to each individual player. But yeah, I'm with you, man. Got to make the most of the opportunities you're given. So sticking with that college side, how kind of how kind of scarce is the money in recruiting right now? <laughs> Ah, man, I, well, it depends. Are you in the SEC or not? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you mean recruiting, like, for scholarships or recruiting budgets, like, per school? Kind of recruiting budgets per school because I know everybody's a little bit different and people are kind of scrambling around that are wondering if they're going to be able to get their same money back or people going in, especially with these high school seniors. Those right. are the guys that kind of I'd be worried for. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of schools and and who have said like, hey, we, or maybe they haven't said it yet, but the words trickling through the back channels that they're not going to have their seniors back because they've built their programs to either get rid of players in three or four years. And Vanderbilt's a good example, man. And this is not knocking them. It's they have built the program that their players leave every three years because they get drafted highly. You know? Right. We have a couple seniors every year, and that's great and wonderful. But and Florida's another one, and LSU's another one, and it's the blue bloods that you're talking about that are um, 
that they're three-year programs in reality. They get really good players. They develop them to make even better players. Those guys go in the top five rounds after three years, and they bring in the next group. Um, so, yeah, and you can we could talk about ethics or morality or whatever about saving spots for guys, but the reality of the situation is, is that's how it is. They have huge freshman classes coming in because they expect to lose huge numbers of guys to the draft. Mm-hmm. So... It's, I mean, it's a thing where it's, it's sketchy because it's something that's never, like a lot of people say, it's a lot of uncharted waters yep. in college sports and nobody's ever had to deal with anything like this. No question. It's uncharted worldwide, you know. For sure. At least in modern, the modern times. Yeah, it's definitely been a long time in human history since we've seen something like this. Yeah, no kidding. So who are some of the best Juco teams you were able to get on and see this year? Uh, I saw Central Arizona play in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously won the national championship last year. Um, man, they were loaded on the mound. Loaded, loaded, loaded on the mound. Um, I, they it looked like in the early going, they were kind of taking some time to get moving like they did last year. Um, right. Obviously, they, they snuck into the damn conference tournament last year and then ended up winning the national championship. But um, they, had, they were loaded with arms. They had, I don't know, 12 or 13 D1 arms. Um, I thought Wabach was really, really good, per usual. I thought Iowa Western was really, really good. I thought you guys were really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you guys ended the year number one for us. Right. Got down. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's Northwest Florida was stupidly talented. Uh, mm-hmm. State College of Florida didn't have a ton of offense, but they had a top three or four on the mound that would have went toe-to-toe with anybody. Um yeah, man, it, it was loaded this year. McLennan, we had number one to start the season. That's a stupid amount of talent. Same thing. It was all really, really good. I saw Grayson play, you know, three days before the shutdown, and they beat the brakes off of Sanjak. Um, cool. Yeah, that, that's a really good team there. That Grayson that Grace team might have ended up, like, you know, right there at the end. That mm-hmm. kind of under the yeah, there, There's a lot of good baseball going on in Texas. Dude, always. Oh, and Illinois. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Our conference is pretty solid. <laughs> it's unbelievable that, like, one of you three, with you, Wabash, and Iowa Western, only one would be able to go to Junction. Yeah, that, that's a loaded district. It's just unbelievable. And that's, that's I mean, that would be a fun tournament, though, right there. That would have been incredible. At some point, it don't matter, like, what you did in the regular season, you know, like, just make sure you qualify for the district tournament or whatever, and then who gives a shit? You know, right. Make sure you beat Iowa Western in May, and that's all that matters. So, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's how it was kind of last year for yeah. Wabash. They went, what were they, 50 and 2? Yeah, they were number one all year, man. I had them number yeah. one the year and didn't have to move them, and then Iowa Western knocked them off. It happens, bud. It happens every year. It's baseball for you right there. That Wabash team was stupid. As as you saw, I'm sure that's mm-hmm. that was a stupidly good team. And I see like, especially like talking about those guys coming in, like they're getting some big name transfers coming in too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, going yeah, back I, on the, what, you, what you were saying, I, JUCO baseball. I mean, it's it's getting it's getting a lot better. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's people are realizing that it's not like, and I don't mean to be crass, but like even myself, you know, a Michigan guy who didn't play high level baseball by any stretch. Like 
I always thought growing up that JUCO was like where you go if you don't have any grades. Like that's what JUCO was to me. It was like those are the kids who are in trouble or, or you know, don't have good grades. And now after years of doing this professionally, and I think that obviously my mind changed a long time ago about that, but I think other mm -hmm. minds too of like hey no like yeah it's an opportunity for kids who aren't very good students and, and it's an opportunity for kids who might have gotten in trouble in high school yes those things are true but at the same time it's also an incredible baseball opportunity for anybody oh. who's just good at baseball <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to realize too and like i'd played like high level travel baseball for st louis gamers in st louis and i'm seeing all my teammates commit to these power fives and I live 20 minutes from Johnny Logan College, and I've never been to a game. Like, I've never seen the level of baseball that's going on here. And then I moved 10 hours away to go to my, the first JUCO in Alabama last year. And all of a sudden, I'm just seeing, like, all this stuff on Twitter and all these reports because I'm starting to follow JUCO baseball more now that I'm there. And I'm like, and it's Johnny Logan this, and it's Johnny Logan that. And I'm like, they've got 15 dudes committed in the fall. I was like, yeah. <laughs> maybe, that's like maybe that's where I – because, I mean, I came here on a visit my – senior year and I was like oh it's real close to home I don't know if I want to do that like every other kid's wanting to get out and then I thought about it and came here my sophomore year and it's the best decision I've ever made yeah man yeah man you gotta it's it's all about the fit dude and that's what I tell the high school kids I coach every year too man like I don't you know it's D1 or D2 or NAIA or JUCO like I don't care man where do you feel comfortable mm -hmm. and if that's fucking Vanderbilt great go to Vanderbilt if that's the D3 school you and I have never heard of in Massachusetts, go there. If that's John Logan in Mount Carmel, Illinois, go there. You know, I don't like the stigma of like D1 or nothing because a lot of the kids who say D1 or nothing end up at JUCO after a year anyway. So. Right. And I, like I was talking with that, the kid that I was throwing with yesterday is that John A. Logan commit. And I was like, cause he, he's been, he was telling me, he's like, he always like, hears these his friends talking to him like, we thought you were better than that. You're only going to JUCO. And he, like he said, he's just not learning now just to brush it off. But I was telling him, man, I was like, you got to keep your head up. He's like, you're coming to one of the best programs in the country, playing for one of the best coaches in the country. Like, you're, you're going to get where you want to go. Yep. Yep. You come in and put the work in, they'll put you where you need to go. 100%. No doubt. No doubt. Especially, like, I think a lot of the freshmen for the first time coming into JUCO, they might, unless they – They've been around and been able to see that this level, but like a lot, I know for a lot of our guys, it was a real eye opener. Once we went to the uh, showcase there in Indianapolis mm -hmm. and started playing, and then you're seeing these guys. Every field's got a dude throwing 95, and then there's, it's like, wow, this is what JUCO baseball is. Just a bunch of guys that can play. No question. No question, man. It's like I I love that that little tournament deal that uh, y'all do in Springfield every year. Um, mm -hmm. Like coming down, like it doesn't matter where I went. You know, it was like I'm either at Springfield or I'm at the other game, and it doesn't matter what team's throwing. Like there's always a dude. There's always recruiting coordinators watching JUCO games. There's always pro scouts watching JUCO games. You know, and I, I, I don't think that's enough. That's like common enough knowledge. Like I think more people yeah. need to be aware of that. I know for me, like. It's even in high school, like growing up playing in perfect game tournaments, like I'm sitting, you're, I'm sitting there in line at Lake Point, and I've got, I'm in line with the top ten schools in the country at, at the concession stand. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> that used to blows my mind there. <laughs> 
I need a hot dog. And all of a sudden it's Michigan and Vanderbilt and Florida State and Kentucky. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and standing in line in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I remember my first year ever doing a perfect game tournament. I was 15. That's my first time being up in, in Cobb, East Cobb. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm walking around like pointing the East Cobb complex. And I'm like, there's every top 50 school here. Like it just, it was blowing my mind because I'd never been exposed to something like that. Dude, I had the same reaction, but I was 23 when I did. So. <laughs> I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget my first WWBA. I was 15. I'd never seen 20 guns going up in the air before. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the mound. I'm first pitch. I'm like, oh shit! I it just like it psyched me out, and I don't think I. I don't think I got. I was I was open throwing our opening game. I don't think I got out of the first inning. The first <laughs> time I'd ever done that. And then I come back four days later to pitch in the bracket play, and I'm just like, okay, we're gonna be fine this time. And I throw a one hitter. I'm like, okay, wasn't that bad? <laughs> you never seen it before, man. It was intimidating for me, and I was on the other side of the damn fence, you know. <laughs> and and like now, as I got older, like. In the 15, 16, and then 17, you know, it's like, okay, it's just, they're just people holding guns. They're going to be there no matter what. I got to pitch. No doubt. But what are, uh, so coming back into your, your job here at Perfect Game, what kind of goes into developing your rankings? Oh, man. How much time you got? <laughs> um, what rankings are we talking about specifically? So it's, but we can start off with your your team rankings for JUCO. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's it starts with, and it's kind of an unofficial process, but like in reality, it starts with rumors. Okay. Like that, it just I'm talking like it's October. I'm at our underclass event in Fort Myers, and every other recruiting coordinator in the country is there, right? So I'm just talking to every guy I can ask and say, hey, what have you seen this fall in JUCO? Who's the best players? Who's the best teams? And I kind of crowdsource it just like that to start. And every year that I've been doing this, Juco specifically, I have known pretty much in October who the number one team was going to be. Right. You know, this year or two years ago it was Wabash. This year it was McLennan. It was Polo before that going back. And just you talk to these recruiting coordinators and they go, dude, McLennan might not lose. But like, dude, dude, on and I'm not really even starting the process yet. Like, I'm not in in my Google Sheet doing anything. I'm not calling JUCO coaches yet. I haven't seen any JUCO yet at this point. But you start to get head, like, all right. Just got to wait till you're chilling there at JetBlue this fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 27 coaches this year. 27 coaches have told me that McLennan's unbelievable. I'm probably going to put McLennan number one. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to January when I start making phone calls, and then it's – I talked to over 100 coaches every year, man. And, and Soup will tell you that he and I talk, and, and I know Pat Morey pretty well, too. Um, you're shooting the shit, and, and it's a it's – a, I'll tell you the, the, how, the anatomy of one of those calls. It's I call, we catch up for a couple minutes, we ask each other how the families are, we, we uh, reestablish our relationship, and then I say, Coach, tell me about your club. You know, who do you like? Who are your favorite mm-hmm. players on this team? What are the strengths and weaknesses? What are you worried about? Do you expect new? What are the newcomers that are going to blow up? Who are the freshmen that you like? Give me your top prospects, and then give me your best players. Those guys aren't necessarily the same. 
you know, there may be a, a, the best prospect in Juco may is probably not the best pitcher in Juco. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very different thing. So I want to get all that information and I want to build it. And a lot of these coaches, and it's not all of them, but a lot of these coaches are dead ass honest with me. They'll say, Brian, I think we've got a chance to be pretty good. Or, you know, Brian, I think we're really fucking good if we do this. Or, Brian, I think that, you know, if things come together, we'll be okay, but I'm, I'm worried right now. You know, these right. guys are most honest with me. And then from, from talking to those guys and, and, and hearing about their teams and, and talking to scouts and talking to coaches who have seen them play and seeing them play myself, that's where the, the rankings start being built. It's so get, does some of it kind of go off, like, just hype from players? Um. No, I don't think so because okay. I don't like, I don't, I, you know, you hear hype all the time, man. I hear hype nonstop, but I don't write anything down that's hype unless I've confirmed it myself. Mm-hmm. So like I hear, Hey, blank guy at blank Juco is throwing 103. Like, that's cool. I'm not ranking that team higher unless I talk to the coach who told me he's 103 or I talk to a scout who told me, yeah, I saw him throw 103. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, hype is Hype is useful in that it gives me rumors to chase down. You know, like I, I love hearing hype, man. Tell me this kid's throwing 900 miles an hour. I want, I want you to think that that's happening so then I can go find out for myself. And right. 90% of the time it's bullshit. But that 10% of the time that it's real, you know, just from chasing it down, I know something that not a lot of other people know now. And that's mm-hmm. valuable information. So hype has its place. But no, it certainly does not dictate anything as far as the rankings. So what about, like you said, you're going around doing, helping out with showcases too. So what kind of goes into those rankings when grading those players at a showcase and then seeing these guys that like you're talking about the national showcase and then going into All-American game, what kind of goes into ranking those high school prospects? Well, you, you got to ID them first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where Jeremy Brown, who kind of runs our 14U scouting, does an incredible job. There's nobody even close to as good as he is when it comes to that stuff and uh, he finds these guys and hears about these guys when they're 13 or 14 years old and, and sees them. And, and I don't. Tr- blessed, tr- blessed to announce that I don't see 14-year-olds. <laughs> um, but, you know, so so Jeremy does a really, really good job. Kind of, We, we kind of have like a natural progression with intended to be. Um, where Jeremy will find these guys when they're super young and, and identify the the top several hundred and see all the, the 14, 13 new tournaments and showcases and such. And then it's kind of passed on to the next guy who kind of IDs them as they're 15 and 16. And then when it's time for them to be talked about as draft guys, they kind of come to me and we scout them with fresh eyes for the fourth time. And, um, all throughout the wild, they're building resumes. They're coming to showcases. They're coming to tournaments. They're performing or they're not. Their tools stagnate or they get better. Uh, and that's where the rankings are. It's, hey, this kid was really, really good at 14. You're right, he was, but he hasn't gotten any better. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, kid, we saw him at 14, and he was 110 pounds and couldn't do anything. Well, guess what? Now he's 6'2", 180, and he's really, really good. You know, so it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a constant progression. It's a constant tweaking. It's a constant uh, – yeah, man. it's a, it's a, that's the best way I can put it for you. It's a constant process. Like we never feel like we're done with rankings. So the, when you're like, when you're IDing those guys, like you're saying at that 14 year, 13, 14 year age, are you kind of still using like that 2080 kind of scale that you would use now when you're, you're talking about these draft prospects? No, you can't because right. no 14 year old has any major league tools, mm-hmm. you know? 
So no, it's it's a it's a how how athletic is he? Is a good question. Does he move well? Is he projectable? You know, is he a five foot ten, two hundred pound early maturing kid who throws eighty three, who's going to be five ten, two hundred pounds for the rest of his life, or is it a six three, hundred and fifty pound bean pole who only throws seventy eight right now, but it's smooth and it's easy, and you know he's going to throw the shit out of the ball once he hits puberty, like that. That's the the kind of um, dichotomy of scouting the younger kids is the the guy who blows up the gun is not always the best one you know what i mean so you have to so, you have to project you have yep, to project. so so most of your so those younger guys it's basically as kind of thinking taking a chance on what you think they can be eventually 100 percent, and that's all scouting is man mm-hmm. you know you don't draft a guy for what he is you draft a guy for what he can be or what you think okay. he's gonna be um, and, and you see it all the time. Like I'm sure that that players, and I'm not necessarily speaking about you specifically, but players in general, I am sure that there's been a time where a kid that you don't think is real good has gotten an offer to some big school, or has gotten drafted and signed, or has gotten an All-American nod from something, or, or right. maybe, maybe you saw my rankings and thought that I ranked the kids way too high, or something like that. That's mm-hmm. fine. That you may be right that he's not as good as other guys right now, but what we're looking at is what is he going to be when he's 25? Right. What is what is he going to be when he's fully in his man body and like fully developed as a player? What is that guy going to be? And here, here's a good example, man. Antoine Kelly last year at Wabash Valley. This is a really good example. Yeah, 96 now. Yeah, he, he was always big lefty with arm speed who never threw any strikes and could not throw a breaking ball, could not throw a changeup, couldn't do anything, but. You look at that guy and go, shit. <laughs> it's athletic. That's the fastest arm I've ever seen. He's huge. He's going to throw so hard. So, yeah, man, that guy gets the knot when it comes geared towards the draft. And that's right. – and oh, you've talked to Noah Sharp. And he and I are, are friends, and, and I'm friends with Chris Huffins too, and, and, and we talk all the time about our different styles and stuff. And that's where he and I differ in our rankings is he ranks, like, who are the best junior college players, period. And I rank who are the best junior college prospects, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, a, it's definitely a, a differentiation in process, but uh, but it's, you know, we're ranking the same players just through different lenses. Right. And I, I know talking to Noah the other day, I made a note to ask you because he brought it up. Told me to ask you about the Imagine Dragons. Imagine Dragons are the worst band ever made. <laughs> I'm like personally offended by anybody who listens to or plays them. <laughs> Oh, Just, like, yeah. right. like, he, we, we had a we had a podcast where we talked for like three hours once and it was brought up like all right let's get sex taste and music like, well imagine dragons and florida george line are the worst yeah <laughs> that's all he, he texted me the other day and he said he said all he said ask brian about the imagine dragons so that's all he said about it <laughs> he knew it would get me riled up <laughs> So who are, who would be your top five bands that you listen to? Oh jeez. Um, actually, I can probably just pull up Spotify and tell you. Uh, the Wonder Years, uh, Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties, Bayside. Um, see, man, it's like that pop punk emo kind of thing. Like that's my my vibe. There you uh, go. You know, like I still listen to a lot of Jimmy Eat World. Um, I don't know, man. I've gotten really into La Dispute recently. 
like, you know, I don't know how long you want me to go on to this. I've listened to Spanish Love Songs' new album a thousand times since it's come out. Just, you know, just bands like that. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard of any of those bands. <laughs> <laughs> I know Noah's probably asked you this two or three times. And since I've partnered with Noah and the JBB, it's kind of been a question that I like to ask now, too, is who would be in your golf foursome? You get to pick anybody. That's anybody all time. Anybody. Yeah. Um. Abraham Lincoln. Okay. I think that's one. Um, I would like Tiger Woods to be in the foursome just so that I can watch him play. Play golf. Like he doesn't even have to talk to me. That's fine. I just want to be right next to him as he plays to see how good that dude is. You know. Um. True. And then. Got to be a baseball guy now. Um, I think probably Justin Verlander. He was my favorite player growing up. You yeah, know, JV. Probably Verlander. I mean, I don't know, man. We could go on forever with that. But, yeah, for sure. Historical figure, best golfer ever, and my favorite baseball player. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I've had... This is episode five now, and I've had some pretty out there answers to that question. <laughs> I think the weirdest one I might have had, or the I wouldn't say weirdest, different is I don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with Anthony Silkwood or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, one of his answers was Ted from the movie Ted. That would be hilarious. I can see why he would want that. That would be outstanding. Yeah, that's yeah. a good answer. He goes, I want. <laughs> He goes, I want, he goes, I want Summer Ray and Ted, because I don't, I just want to hear what Ted would say to Summer Ray for 18 holes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Uh, I was dying up there. But <laughs> kind of wrapping things up here. Uh, is there anything else that you can think of from a scouting or draft point that you'd want to bring up? Oh, man. Um well, shit, man. With everything not doing anything right now, like I <laughs> stay in shape, keep working, keep throwing. You know, baseball will be back at some point. For sure. I don't know when. I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know in what form. But baseball will be back. And as coaches and scouts, please believe me when I tell you that we're going to know who didn't work. Mm, 100%. Once scouting comes back, man, whenever that is. We're going to find out real quick who took three months off. So it's, I don't know. I don't want that to be like a dire warning or anything, but like, don't think we're not going to be able to tell. So. No, I, I'm glad you brought that point up. That It's a really good point, And I, I agree with that hundred percent. I think it's, it's going to be really obvious for a lot of college coaches. Once they get those guys back on campus mm-hmm. to be able to see who put something in and who didn't. No question. Cause I think there's going to be, a big drop off from those guys who busted their ass for three months and those didn't. Yep. And we'll, it'll be, it'll be very quick too. It won't take mm-hmm. long. It'll be, you know, two weeks and we'll like, Hey, this, 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 and this, these guys are now this and it's awesome. And you can tell they busted their ass and these four guys, not great. A lot of, I think it'll, I think it'll be more so evident with the pitchers. Oh yeah. A guy that was low to mid nineties coming in, upper 80s that mm-hmm. 
arm's not there yet, and he's got that freshman that busted his ass because he's trying to win a spot. I think yep. it's stuff like that's going to happen. You know, I mean, it's the fall will tell, man. I mean, just talking strictly in terms of JUCO stuff, man, like when Logan starts practicing again in August or whenever it is, when, when y'all get to campus and the sophomores who are coming back are there and the freshmen who are in are there and the, and the freshmen who were there last year and that are now blah, 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 blah. When the whole team gets together, Soup is going to know in a fucking hour who worked and who didn't. It might, it might not take an hour. It might be your first team meeting. He's going to look around the room and say, ah, okay. I know the five guys didn't, you know, just, and I'm, I don't, I don't mean to speak for him. I'm sure he'd uh, agree with me with what I said, but yeah, he'll know quick. And that's every coach across the country. We're going to find out quick. I agree a hundred percent. And I don't think, I don't think Stupid would be mad with your, uh, with your assumption right there. Cause I think you're a hundred percent right. <laughs> he'll, uh, we'll get in shape real quick. <laughs> Real damn quick. Who's not going to make it to the spring? Like, yeah. I don't know. That's what I'm saying, man. It ain't going to be like a, all right, well, we got to spend three weeks sussing these guys out and figuring it out. No, no, no. You're going to know 20 minutes into the first practice. Like, oh, well, that guy didn't do shit. So. <laughs> but, you know, Brian, I think I appreciate you coming on today. And for our listeners, again, this is Brian Sikowski. He's the national supervisor for Perfect Game regarding the draft and Juco baseball. You guys can find him on Twitter at B underscore Sikowski underscore perfect game. Uh, Brian, is there anything else you want to add to that? Oh, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. Anytime. Uh, good luck to you, whether it's Logan or Akron or wherever you end up next year. I'm looking forward to following your career, and, and I'm also looking forward to you giving Jordan Banfield nonstop shit from me. So. <laughs> I'm about, I'm about to call, I'm gonna call him right after this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever let that skinny dude get in your face. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But I appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Yep. yep, take it easy, man. <laughs>